0: Well, I have honestly been both dreading and anticipating <laughs> this moment for a number of days. Warren, your your sermon yesterday about fighting real spiritual forces um, was very real to me, honestly. And, and it was good to think about that even uh, 12 hours before preaching to this dear people, that uh, there is there are spiritual forces that um, tell your pastors and preachers that... You have nothing to say. You're not prepared for this. This is um, maybe erroneous. There's all kinds of things that uh, are going through your head. And uh, I think that in many ways it is uh, spiritual darkness, spiritual forces. And um, I appreciated that good reminder. Um, My theme uh, today in the Stand Firm suite uh, that uh, I guess... uh, Pastor Scott and the elders uh, have uh, prayed about and decided for the family camp this year is to stand firm. And as I think about, as I first saw that theme probably weeks or months ago, I thought how timely. I think that we're all feeling the need for the church, for God's people to stand firm because the days feel very dark, don't they? Um, Especially if you're on social media. Uh, I was encouraged to just Turn some of that stuff off, uh, put it off, gouge it out, pluck it off, cut it off, delete it, um, those kinds of things. But uh, the topic for this uh, sermon is to stand firm in the joy of holiness, and our text will be uh, in Romans 13, 9-12. And so open your Bibles uh, to Romans 13. Uh, actually, it's 11-14. through 14. Um, So let's pray together before uh, we begin. Father, I do ask for your help that you would keep the evil one um, from stealing the seed uh, that would be planted in our hearts. Uh, We pray that you would give us fertile hearts and that the seed could uh, find its way into good soil and grow up and produce fruit. Uh, That's our desire, Lord, um, to be um, happy and holy. Um, Christians, Lord, and so we pray that you would use your word in the hearts of your people this morning. Um, we ask for your help. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm read, probably going to read the text a couple of times. It's uh, only four verses. It um, comes in a lar- much larger context, which I'll uh, help you with. Um, but uh, it says in Romans 13, 11 to 14, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day it is at hand. That will be really the first point of my word for you today, is that in light of the times, uh, we need to wake up from our sleep. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So I'll say in light of the shortness of time, uh, we are called to put off sin. And then that will be the second big idea. And the last one is it's, it's a futile endeavor to try to put off sin without this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, again, I know thinking about this, uh, this theme to stand firm, um, we live in times and we've seen it all around us. We've heard the term, you know it, as apostatize. We've heard the term deconvert. Um, but the, uh, this hour, we're, we're being brainwashed by the lies of the devil. Um, to think these things are true in so many ways. Um, The temptation to sleep is real. Um, I do believe the times are growing short, whether we're in um, just a dark cycle, or one of the last dark cycles, or the very last dark cycle. The New Testament appeals to believers to prepare for the Lord's coming, and these appeals are abundant. Um, we're refreshed and reminded of these things every Lord's Day as we take the Lord's Supper. Um, We say that uh, Jesus said, take this until I come. um, Until I drink it with you in the kingdom. Um, And we're reminded of that as even we cite the Apostles' Creed, that uh, God is coming to judge the quick and the dead. Um, So, um, these are things that uh, we need to think about uh, to be ready in light of the Lord's coming. and I know what some are thinking. Well, this, uh, this alarm bell has been going off for a long time. We've been hearing this, um, that the time is short for 2,000 years now. Um, but uh, the scoffers in Peter's day said the very same thing. And basically, Peter said, um, you better be glad He hasn't come. Uh, the Lord will come in His own good time. Um, he puts off His coming because He is merciful. And as far as time goes... For him, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And so I say to you who are under the hearing of the Lord's preaching today young people, old people, people that have been resisting um, the Lord's call in your life, his word in your life that uh, hear his voice today. Do, do not go to sleep. Do not um, put these things out of your mind. Um, so. That's a word about uh, standing firm, but I, and I realize that as we think about the Lord's coming, I I've had these thoughts lately, and Jesus uh, even said, "Will the Son of the Man, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when He comes?" It sure feels like that today. Um, we're tempted to think that way, but the truth is, um, there are thousands and hundreds of thousands who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and God is uh, is pleased uh, to continue to use His church and His Word in the lives of people. Um, but again, the call is to stand firm, and it's to stand firm in the joy of holiness. Uh, and those, those words, by the way, might seem oxymoronic to some of us. Holiness um, and joy. Um, but the truth is, the Bible presents a picture that is really the only path uh, to joy is a path of holiness. Um, and so uh, that is very much my aim. In fact, I really appreciate that. That last song that Luke you prayed for or played for us, uh, that we are bound for promised land, um, and uh, it is uh, a wonderful thing. So, another um, again, I have a lot of introductory remarks. Don't don't think you can tune out because it's the introduction. It's actually the sermon. The sermon has started. The recording is going. Um, but in Second Peter one, just thinking about holiness and um, standing firm in the faith. Um I, I'm going to shorthand this a little bit, but he says it says his divine power has granted us all things that relate to life and godliness, and he goes on to say, um, by which he has given great and precious promises, and through them you become partakers of the divine nature. Through your salvation, your justification, your conversion, you become partakers of the divine nature. And what happens as a result of that? You escape the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. And Peter goes on to say, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Um, And he lists some things from um, brotherly kindness and virtue to love itself. Um, And he says, adding these things will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. He says, if you lack these things, basically you are a joyless and miserable Christian and if you practice these things, um, you uh, you will never fall. Um, in fact, he goes on to say that in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One of the things that's occurred to me as I've heard these uh, sermons one t- from one to the other is uh, how God is good to just weave the Scriptures together and I think about... Um, Even just what we started out with the Word of God and then the sermon to cut off things that get in the way. Um, And then I thought about Warren's words about Peter and how the Lord prayed for him that uh, he would not fall away. Um, And Peter did. He wanted to destroy um, Satan. But it's interesting to me, you keep reading on in the life of Peter, you go to John 21, and... Speaking of preaching Hall of Fame, I would commend to you John MacArthur's sermon on John twenty one. It's one of my favorites of all time, and Christian and I sat under that ministry for many years. But he talks about Jesus' restoration of Peter on that beach um, after his resurrection. And um, in that he told him, he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's interesting in that in that second Peter text where he says, Add to your faith. Brotherly kindness and then love, agape love. He asks them all three questions on that beach, and he says, "Tend my lambs, feed my sheep." Um, and he even says, Peter, um, he told him what kind of death that he would die to glorify God. Um, and you remember, Peter asked, "Well, what about John?" And he said, "Lord said, don't worry about him. Uh, mind your own business." Uh, and so it's interesting, but but then I read I read Peter and I go, "Wow, uh, this man." Um, the Lord did restore him. The Lord did pray for him. But it was to a life of holiness. And Peter became a spokesman for the joy of holiness uh, to Christians. Um, and so, again, I choose this topic and this text because I fear in my own heart, and I, and I take it that if these things are going on in my heart, they might be going on in your hearts as well, that we, we've we grown sleepy in these days. Um, and that this very critical teaching about holiness in the Christian life may have faded from our consciousness, um, perhaps out of a, a reaction to legal, legalism, um, or maybe just uh, a recovery, um, a good recovery of the preaching of the gospel um, and, and making our ministry centered around this. And I don't believe it's an error of accuracy, but maybe uh, one of emphasis or context. Um, but I would say that this uh, this topic, this preaching of sanctification In the broader church, I don't feel that way at Rockport, Um, but even in my own heart, we all listen to Christian teachers and and read different things and hear different things. And it seems like maybe this teaching about sanctification or holiness uh, has has faded from our hearts. And even that when we read the scriptural exhortations to be holy, to put off, to put on, that uh, we rush right over them. And return to the news, the good news of our justification. Uh, I tell you, those things are not meant to oppose each other; those things go together. Um, there have been, in my lifetime, I think of two battles. It, it seemed like the, the the faith works people were battling against the free salvation, the grace uh, people. Um, back in the day, it was Macarthur and maybe Ryrie, um, and even again, I see it today. I, I know in. The last T4G I was very encouraged by Piper's sermon um, that we recover in the church a preaching that not only teaches that the cross um, procured the sin-canceling work of justification, but that same cross procured in for your life and mine the sin-killing work of sanctification. And there are many different motivations in the Scripture. Um, Why does God motivate us in so many, it seems like, in some ways, very menial uh, ways? It's because God is good. God is gracious. Why does God give us rewards? Because He's gracious. He's good. That's the kind of God He is. But He motivates us in all kinds of ways. And again, today, the primary motivation will be the coming of the Lord. That your salvation is growing near. Um, So we need to wake up. So I want to quickly, I pray quickly. What time is it? Um, I'm always bad. at So so what time do you start? Does anybody get a handle on that? Uh, No, you're not worried about it. Okay. Um, It's usually the kids. There's something going on afterwards. But um, the context uh, of Romans, first of all, is that it's written to the church at Rome. In fact, Paul has very affectionate words to say of these people. If you just are sort of scanning through Romans in your Bible... Um, He says to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Why do I say this? Because we're getting to a text that's going to say, Wake up um, and put off. And so he's saying this to saints, to believers. He calls them brothers. He tells them that their faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. These same kinds of warnings take place in the book of Hebrews, all over the book of Hebrews, and yet the writer to Hebrews says, I am convinced of better things concerning you. And by the way, I say the same thing to you, dear folks at Rockport. But nevertheless, the Scriptures use warnings even to motivate us um, to a life of holiness. And by the way, that life of holiness is the only happy life. It's the life of joy. But the Scriptures motivate us to those kinds of things. I heard... Um, most of the stuff that I get comes from podcasts or I'm just a listener, auditory guy. I'm not a big reader. I know that sounds horrible, but um, that's just the way I'm wired. But Tom Schreiner debating um, somebody on on actually infant baptism. And I remember in that debate, he talked about um, the theme and the message of Hebrews. And he said, God uses warnings in the lives of Christians as a means of grace to keep them. So understand that. I'm not saying... That okay, you know, I don't want to, I don't want you to walk away doubting your justification. If you sincerely are clinging to Christ as your only hope, as your righteousness, um, I don't want you to doubt that. But I do want to encourage you. I do want to exhort you, and even warn you that um, there is a temptation to fall away from the living God. And so I say today, as the writer of Hebrews said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as those did in the wilderness. That first generation, and by the way, they all fell away. Only two of them entered the land. Um, Do not harden your hearts. If you hear His voice, then humble and hear. So, that first little part, Paul is writing to Christians with these words. And I would say this, something that, Honestly, it didn't occur to me for quite a while, and I love the book of Romans and have read it a number of times. But in Romans 1.5, take a look at that verse if you have your Bible open in that part of Romans. Um, what is the goal of your salvation? What is the goal of your justification? It says to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. So Paul says, I'm an apostle... Um, Tasked and sent to preach the gospel, to bring about the obedience of faith for the glory of God's name. And I will tell you, read read good commentaries, a good study Bible note. It will tell you this is not merely talking about initial faith, um, but it's talking about initial faith and ongoing faith that, as James says, produces works. I saw a brother that the other last week. Uh, I I get some of these uh, Jacksons mixed up. It was either uh, Billy or um, Johnny. But he had a a shirt on that said, we have a book. I was like, what does that mean? And it was like, Christians, what's that? Okay, thank you. Are you wearing it today? We have a book. Um, The Bible, that's our revelation. That's where our worldview comes from. That's how we um, know truth. And I would say to you, that James is in the book. Uh, Luther questioned that, but uh, we've all decided that he was a little off on that one. James is still in the book. Um, and he says that faith is never alone. That faith will produce obedience. Alright, so as we go on, working toward... You know the basic outline of Romans, and I don't want to get too bogged down, but I would say a, a simple summary uh, quoted from Habakkuk 2.4, um, but I'll use Paul's word order in, in Romans... And your translation may not reflect it, but it's by faith the just shall live. Um, that uh, in light of um, the bad news that's given in Romans 1, 2, and 3 about our sin, there is a righteousness that is revealed from faith to faith. And there, um, it, it will protect you from the wrath that is being revealed uh, from God. And so he gives us that in the context uh, of Romans and he goes on to say by the way that that justification that produces a righteousness that far exceeds anything that we could possibly muster that justification um, results in sanctification it's an unbreakable chain you if you were at Rockport last Sunday you heard a very good sermon on this idea of sanctification or becoming holy or holiness um, but uh, justification, results, starts the process of sanctification being made more holy. And by the way, it ends, as we just sang, with promised land glorification. Um, but we're no longer slaves. <clears throat> when we were saved, um, we were not only set free from what we might call, um, what's the word, uh, present sin? uh, uh no, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, when we are saved from the penalty of sin. There we go. Um, When we are saved, we are not just set free from sin's penalty, but we are set free from sin's power. And that takes place over time um, in this thing called sanctification. So, um, let me just say why would, after all this teaching in Romans, where Paul um, really waxes eloquent on our great salvation... That justification comes from Christ apart from works of the law. And that it, it goes on to sanctification and an unbreakable chain. It says in Romans 8.29 that um, from being loved by God, we were predestined. And by the way, we're predestined to good works. We're predestined and we are justified and we are glorified. And they're all given in past tense. There's no doubt that the Lord who begins the work in you will complete the work. Um, which he has started. So why a sermon on holiness? If this is all a foregone conclusion, and I will say to you that the same reason we preach the gospel, if election is true, if predestination is true, why do we preach the gospel? Because the same God that has ordained the ends has ordained the means by which we come to faith in Christ. And I will say he is the same God ordains the means by which we are made holy. And it is the preaching of texts like these. So as Paul completes his um, sort of uh, treatise on on salvation, um, he says a very familiar verse that you know, Romans 12:1 and 2. I um, entreat you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as li- living sacrifices. And he goes on for 31 verses to talk about Christian living. Um, to talk, I mean, some might say. That what's where's why where's he coming in with all this duty and with all this legalism? But I would tell you that it flows perfectly and naturally and these two things are not against each other, they're friends, your justification and your sanctification. Um so don't try to separate them, they're good friends and they should be in your life. So understand he goes on um to to, to present a very different and holy way of life. And I will just mention a few. He exhorts Christians to live in harmony with those inside and outside the church. Outside, to bless those who persecute you. Um, to love and not curse them. Uh, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Inside, to love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. He, he tells us how to behave with governing authorities. And you know that he's under Nero's reign during this time. Um, but he says... Pay taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. And finally, he closes this section um, on Christian conduct with the royal law of love. Love one another um, as you love yourself. But then there seems to be a change in tone. And I almost wonder, as Paul is writing, and I know from writing a sermon... um, that there are certain times even the Spirit just sort of wakes you up in your own preparation and in your own notes and the things that end up on the paper. And I think that Paul even senses, um, this is a long, eloquent treatise on Christian duty and on on salvation, but a fear of that I'm going to sleep, they're going to sleep. And so he his tone changes and it becomes urgent. And it's as if he senses all at once the urgency of these exhortations in light of the times, and he calls us to alertness and action. So you heard the text. I said I might read it again. He says, besides this, and by the way, uh, some of your translations say do this. That's not even in the translation. It's just a helpful bridge that translators provide. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. And so I tell you, and Paul tells us in the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit tells us to wake up in light of the time. I don't know, brothers and sisters, if you sense the shortness of the time. I I, I suspect that people who are older maybe have a a much greater appreciation for the quick passage of time. Those of of you that have seen loved ones who seemed very much alive and present in our living rooms, have now gone on to be with the Lord and are dead. Um, we have seen, I think about, I've told many people, COVID seems in some ways like 20 years ago, but it also seems like a couple of months ago that that all started. And when it did, I had a little girl, like a little baby faced girl, that lived in my house. And now she's five feet nine. She's a young lady. I'm just like freaking out. And that just <laughs> happened before my eyes. And why do I say that? Um, because I want to call to your uh, your your knowledge, your understanding, your thoughts to be aware of the quick passing of time. Um, we had a kid who came home on spring break, <clears throat> and we did like a corny virtual college graduation because he missed his college graduation, got called off, and we like made a TV background. And I actually handed him his diploma. We were joking about that recently. I actually handed him his homeschool diploma. Um, which he makes fun of. And then I said, You remember, I handed you your college diploma too. And he laughed. Um, but we had this little fake graduation in our living room. But you know what? Uh, it's two years later. He's married. We had a family wedding during COVID, for which a lot of people judge us for. It was down in Texas where they didn't know about it. And uh, it, was a, it was a crazy, wonderful, wonderful time. And now we've got a little grandbaby coming in just a few weeks. Time is passing. Uh, brothers and sisters, I hope you sense it. There are different ways that you it might become aware to you, and, and some of these are very mundane, but they're actually um, sobering. I'll tell you, one for me is um, my wife is a very organized uh, a person, and um, and if you were to come to our house and open up our pantry, you would see just a very well-supplied uh, kitchen. And one of the things that I think I feel like we are bringing home. These 20 packs of jumbo paper towels from Costco every couple of days. And yet they don't seem to be accumulating in the cover. And I, you know, they're those kind that have half, the half sheet option. So I, te- I always tear off the half sheet. I'm like, I'll make this work. I, uh, I, along with Bill Eagle, Eagle Burger went through the Great Depression, and so I think that way. Um, but you know what? Uh, Again, it is a funny thought, and it does honestly seem that way to me, that we're going there every other day to get 20 more jumbo packs. It's because time is passing, and I don't even realize how many days that we get rid of all those half sheets of paper towels. Um, the other one is coffee filters. Uh, I, we, we Again, we buy those Costco packs, and I just think, how do these guys make money? One, one of these must last you a lifetime. I don't understand their business plan. I'm sure that Mandy knows from the corner cup, that no, 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 those things go really, really fast. You're going out for them all the time. I feel that way at home. We have these giant packs, and yet the next thing I know, there's the last one, and I'm trying to peel it. Are there two in here? No, there's just one. Time is passing. The time is short. And I encourage you to think about um, the passing of time. Um, it's it's flashing before our eyes. The, the, the Scriptures say that Um, the days are evil, um, that uh, life is a vapor. Um, So the same things happen, because this is an exhortation to believers, knowing the time to put off sin. Some of these things, the passage of time has affected us spiritually. We've put things off, or we have just not noticed how long things have gone. And I wrote down a few things in offense, and all these things are... You're getting a little, like a little picture, a little look into the heart of Mike Booker and the sins that Mike Booker uh, fights with and struggles with. And there in the, every one of them in the list, this crazy list that Paul gives us, all of those things have had a place in my heart and are things that I battle with. And I think about an offense with another believer <clears throat> that goes unaddressed for days and then weeks and then years. Uh, do you sense that? Do you know that? Um, bitterness with your spouse grows from some little spat, some silly little spat, and grows into resentment. And in some, contempt. Um, complete alienation. Living under the same roof, but really no marriage. A twinge of jealousy. Uh, you know, people are more likely to admit struggles with the sins of the flesh, which are shameful and discouraging, than jealousy or envy. But i got to tell you, that's something that Rears its ugly head in my heart. Um, so this twinge of jealousy between friends, over time, turns into contempt. Uh, a funny, delicious sort of conversation, like Proverbs presents this idea of, of gossip, and these morsels uh, grow into just a funny conversation by the water cooler at work, and it turns into a pastime. You get the idea. Uh, A life of love and commitment to your Lord gets crowded out by routine, bitterness, apathy, exhaustion, um, and you fall asleep. And Paul senses that too. And he's good by God's Spirit to tell us to wake from our sleep. And how does he motivate us? In the beginning, he says, your salvation is nearer than when you first believe. He says our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Um, that might seem like a strange statement because a lot of us, especially if you just have a very elementary grip on the doctrines of um, the Bible, you might think, well, salvation is something that happened way back here when I gave up my fight against the Lord and I put my faith in Christ. But Paul and Peter and Hebrews and John... And every part of the Bible, on every page, presents your salvation is something, yes, that has a beginning, but it also is an ongoing thing and there is a future element to your salvation. And it uses, um, I'll use the word save from the scriptures, and you've probably heard these things, I'll go quickly. But in Titus 3.5, he says, He saved us, not according uh, to our works, but in, according to His righteousness. Um, Ephesians 2.8, you know this one. These are both Awana verses. By grace, you have been saved. It is the gift of God, not of works, but you have been saved. But then he also says in other places, 1 Corinthians 15, that you are being saved. Um, That basically, uh, let me read this scripture. Paul says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand... And by which you are being saved. He gives us all those tenses. Um, and it says uh, the Bible says that we are being transformed from glory to glory. But then he also says, you shall be saved. And I'm going to skip to a text in First Peter that brings all these things together. First Peter one three says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, your conversion, your justification. Um, Down to verse 5, he says, "...who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time." That's what this text is referring to. Um, When Paul says that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, that's what he's referring to. So, I will say two things. The, The nearness of our salvation, the nearness of that day that final day is to have both a sobering effect on us, but I would say primarily it is to have a joyful, exhilarating effect on us. So let's talk a little bit about the sobering effect. Why would it have a sobering effect on us? I I, I trust believers, you know, that God is great. Yes, God is good, but God is great. And even God's um, dearest and most dedicated saints feared the sight of God. You, you all know Isaiah 6, that he, he fell on his face and he said, Woe is me. I mean, prophets are supposed to say, Woe is you. But he said, Woe to me. Uh, be upon me. Uh, John, when he saw a vision of the Lord. Jesus Christ, by the way. Um, not God the Father, Jesus Christ. In the revelation, he fell down like a dead man. Um, Paul said, Knowing the fear of God, we persuade men talking about his role to be an ambassador. God is pure. God is righteous. God is holy. God is consuming fire. And by the way, for Christians, for the, for, for sinners and the righteous, we will all give account of ourselves to God. That's a biblical teaching. Um, that is the truth of the Scriptures. And um, by the way, it's according to works, and your works will reveal your heart. A justified person will be revealed on judgment day by their works. And by the way, you might be like a lot of those people in that Matthew 25 judgment that says, Lord, when did I see you naked and hungry and in prison? And he said, oh, you did it here, here, and here. God is good. He's, he's actually noticing my good works. I don't even, some, some of them I don't even notice, but God is. But there are others. There are imposters who um, they, they never did any of those things. But that's the nature of judgment. So it is a sobering reality that we will see the great God with whom we have to do. It is sobering, and Paul means for this to be sobering. But I commend to you that the, the primary and perhaps the more motivating um, sort of call here is the nearness of your salvation should have an encouraging and even an exhilarating effect on you. Um, we had a brother back in Birmingham uh, who is... Um, I don't even know what the name of his disease was, but he had a, a severe muscular skeletal disease. He couldn't sit up For more than an hour at a time, uh, until excruciating pain sort of overtook him. Most of the time, he was in the back row of the church, lying down, listening to it, but yet it wasn't killing him. And it wasn't really progressing that much. And I asked him, "Um, John, how, how have you dealt with this? Did you get depressed? He said, Yeah, at first I did, but then I started to read about heaven and the Lord's coming. And I started to, and I even mentioned reading Randy Alcorn's book, which I would commend to you on heaven. And he says, it, it, it lifted my soul. And honestly, I don't, I don't feel that way. Because the Lord, by the way, redeems your sufferings. Um, our sister prayed this morning in the prayer meeting. I appreciated uh, so much that, that he takes um, these light and momentary afflictions and uh, makes them um, really a crown. So understand that this nearness, and I'll, I'll mention a few things here, we will be made like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. 1 John 3.2 I won't read all these texts. I don't want to um, slow you down or, or, or belabor this point, but there are many. Um, reward. Again, God is pleased to give us rewards. There is a crown of righteousness, an unfading crown of glory for God that God has for His people. 2 Timothy 4, 1 Peter 5 There is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, that will never fade away, reserved in heaven for you. First Peter 1, again. Immortality, a new body, one that is imperishable and immortal. Final adoption, the redemption of your body. Sons of God, co-heirs with Christ, forever with the Lord. We will live in new bodies, in a new heaven, and a new earth, reigning with Him, dining with Him, serving Him, and yes, even being served by Him. That that sounds like heresy until you find it in your scriptures and you find it in the hymnal. Uh, brethren, we have met to worship where Jesus presents um, a parable that after His servants have been laboring in the field that He takes off His robe and ties it around His waist and He girds it and He serves them. Um, what a glorious God. I, I know for some of you young people, and I had these thoughts uh as a young child, and you would hear preachers say pretty scary things like, if you don't enjoy this preaching right now, this this worship service, then you're not going to like heaven because it's one long church service. They're like, wow, man, do I ever want to go to heaven? Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you that um, that's not all it is. Uh, and they are glorious. There will be lots of church services. Um, but... It's all the manifestations of God's glory. God is a God who created physical things that bring Him glory. I think about Yosemite National Park or the Redwoods or the oceans or the vast diversity of sea life and plant life and glorious music that we'll be engaged in serving and ruling and eating and drinking and fellowshipping in ways only possible by redeemed people with redeemed bodies and perfected souls. I I think this camp is a foretaste of that kind of thing, Um, but brothers and sisters, you haven't seen anything yet. That is a great day. And so this passing of time, the sufferings that we experience, are really a, a small thing to be compared with the glory that awaits for us. I know some of you, maybe young ladies, maybe men, are saying, but I wanted to get married first. Um, Let me tell you, marriage is a picture created by God to depict this much greater reality. And maybe some of you wives are saying, oh, I don't know if I... It's a dim picture. Trust me, it's a dim picture. Um, Maybe if you're married to a really good man, it makes you excited. But I tell you, um, it is... I'm being facetious. But it is... uh, It was created to depict the glory of heaven and the glory of our fellowship with God. Um, You might say, but I wanted to have a wedding. Well, I will tell you the marriage supper of the Lamb will exceed your wildest dreams as a wedding, young ladies. Um, And then there's this idea about no marriage or giving a marriage. Uh, After 31 years, I've really grown to know and love Christy Booker, Uh, you know, there, there were a few there, you know, you've heard people with, the, with really a very cynical thought, I've, I've been um, happily married for four years, uh, married for 31, you know, I, I don't feel that way, uh, I may have made her feel that way sometimes, but the marriage has grown into a dear sweet thing. Well, I will tell you that I will know Christy Booker in ways that I never have, and I will appreciate her in ways that I never did in our life of marriage on this earth. And that will be the truth for the saints of God together in heaven. Um, Again, I commend to you Alcorn's book on heaven. So I say this again, brothers and sisters, present sufferings like cancer, MS, ALS, Crohn's disease, a difficult marriage, loneliness, disability, struggles with sin, bitterness, sexual sin, poverty... The rejection of friends, depression, sadness, persecution, go to Hebrews, martyrdom, being torn apart by lions, being sawn in two, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits. In fact, these things are actually being, they're being used to prepare an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. Your suffering will not just be repaid and redeemed, it will be given back to you a hundredfold. Jesus says in Mark 10. Let me say just a little bit more about the passage of time. The nearness of salvation has other dimensions that should sober us. Um, death. Uh, none of us think. I guarantee every, every person that gets to their deathbed is surprised that that day was here and how quickly it comes. Um, there have been a few times in my life, a couple times at least, that I thought death might be very near. One of them was January 17, 1994, the Northridge earthquake. My wife and I and our little not yet born baby were in bed at 4.31 in the morning and a loud, grinding, deafening, shaking started to, to occur. I mean, if you go to California, you're going to have like, oh, people like, like, was that an earthquake? And nobody else feels it. This was not one of those. It was this loud, jarring, shaking earthquake. Um, apocalyptic sort of thing all the lights went out all the power wires were arcing all you could see was what looked like blue light and lightning happening and I thought it was the coming of the Lord I thought it was over um, freeways collapsed apartments collapsed people died um, the Lord by His grace saved me I screamed I screamed uh, not proud of that it, was, it, it, it actually hit me a few days later that that was me um, was it? that's a true story I can share that with you another time um, in 2011 we lived in Birmingham, Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I don't know if it was an F4 or an F5 tornado, one of the a historic tornado was headed uh, toward Birmingham and they told us that morning it's coming. And the skies were ominous and dark and it was just one of those straight lines that went across the entire country and you could just feel the sense of doom, it was palpable and as it got closer and closer we were glued to Uh, our weatherman on TV, and I'll never forget this guy Mark Prater on CBS. He broke down and began to cry. As the storm was approaching the station, this guy's looking at radar. He's right in the middle of Birmingham. And he said, I call on all non-essential... That's when you really want to be non-essential. All non-essential people in the radio station to take shelter, to take cover. He was going to go down with the ship. But in the last minute... The tornado hooked north, and it did not take out Birmingham, and it would have been a very, very massive historic storm. Um, not long after that, my father-in-law, who was saved late, late in life and became a dear Christian man, started to have a back backache, and um, went to the doctor. And you know, doctors do what they do. You got to go do the X-ray, and then you got to do physical therapy. And he's like, "Man, it's not getting better. He could barely get dressed in the morning." He finally went back for another X-ray. And you need to go to the emergency room right now. Um, the x-ray picked up a huge mass. And he went to the ER, and we were with him. And a tumor had um, taken over one of his lungs. It was wrapped around his spine. He became paralyzed in a matter of days. Within 60 days, he was gone. Um, a dear, sweet man, a godly man. Um, and he went with an assured and abundant entrance. But I tell you, we don't know... Uh, about the shortness of time not just the coming of the lord but of our own going to him this should exhort you as you think about your going to him there, there's another aspect some of you maybe young people that think yes i'll i'll deal with this but i got a few little things that i want to i want to do first you don't know how your deception and how this procrastination will lead to a time when you're no longer soft to the Lord. You no longer have the thought or the desire uh, to to, to do business with God, to take care of these things. Um, And I tell you, deception is one of those things. Um, I have others, but I'm going to go on. But I tell you, do not trample on God's grace. No matter who you are, no matter what your situation is, um, I will quote the writer of Hebrews here. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, people of Rockport, young people, old people, today, if you are hearing his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, he goes on to say, I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then um, the apostle makes a warning, take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an unbelieving heart. Um, I say to you, brothers, sisters, young people, old people, wake up from your sleep. The time is shorter than you realize. Um, Whether your time ends with the coming of the Lord or you're going to Him, um, do not uh, put these things off. Well, I go on to another point. The, The nearness of our salvation is a motivation to put things off. Some things that we may be attached to now. And I'm not going to go into great detail in this list, but it's quite a list um, I, I have uh, been guilty of having sort of PG-13 or higher uh, lessons in our D group, and so I've decided to, to keep this uh, PG. But you read the list about um, orgies and drunkenness and uh, carousing and um, sexual sin and sensuality. Um, all these things, these works of darkness, Paul tells us to put them off, I would say, in general. Um, they're in these categories of sins of addiction, like partying and drinking, things that you do so that you don't feel the, the, the conviction of the Spirit or even the judgment of others. Um, you get into this place. I, I sort of picture, um, I don't know if it was Nebuchadnezzar or Darius that just took all the, the the articles out of the temple and drank wine and had a drunken feast with their wives and concubines and said, praise to the God of gold and silver. And we're like, well, I think we're okay on that one. But then he turns a corner and says, sensuality. And I tell you, some of us um, have that same kind of sin going on in a more introverted, secret, hidden way. Um, So whether it's actual physical fornication or adultery, um, those sins entertained in the mind. Um, I know that these can be defeating And discouraging, I know from experience, enslaving, but I also know from experience by God's grace that the very means of grace that we're talking about now give freedom that is glorious, encouraging, freeing, humbling, and nurturing to your soul. May I encourage you, brothers, to cast off these sins of sensuality, of sexuality. Um, But it's interesting to me that um, he goes from that list of of carousing and partying and orgies, orgies to uh, things like quarreling and jealousy. Um, it's like, whoa, you were giving us like cardinal sins, and now you went to quarreling and jealousing. Jealousy—that's jealousing—is not a verb. It just now came up here. Um, don't adopt that into your language. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting. But you know, as you read the scriptures, it's not the scriptures. Um, call us to put these things off all over the place. And you know this, that it is what turns a church, it is what defeats and discourages and paralyzes a church, or a marriage, or a friendship, these sins of jealousy and bitterness. Um, I would say that, pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, Memorize Proverbs 19.11. It it is to a person's glory to overlook a fault. Um, But I will tell you that those who have been forgiven much should be great forgivers. Those who have been loved much should be great lovers, should be very humble with one another. Uh, These social sins destroy churches and marriages and friendships and families, and, and Paul tells us to cast them off. To put them away, to expose them, to cut them off, to make no provision for them. So, we come to the end, and this is the most important part. Um, and I will tell you all this cast off. Okay, so you're just telling us, you know, we often caricature these kinds of things to um, pull up your bootstraps and, uh, and just um, gut out uh, a holiness. But that's not what Paul commends to us. He says, put off these things, cast them off, expose them. Um, as, as Jason said, take the, word, the sword of the word and cut off the head of these sins, but he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and whole sermons can and should be preached on this text. Um, he also tells us to put on the armor of light. But I will say, uh, summarize these in 1 John 1 7. As if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. Um, Ephesians 5 says at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That could and maybe should have been the whole sermon. But I want you to know that these two things are symbiotic in the Christian life. You were sanctified. You were justified to glorify God in this life and the next with a holy life. And it is a life of joy. It is the good life. And and I will say, to to simplify, I don't think it's oversimplifying. How do you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? I will say, make use of the means of grace, both public and privately. Um, Meeting the saints, you will be stimulated. You might not want to go. You may feel dread. I don't even want to be there. But I will tell you that when you go, you will hear sermons from the Word that I dare say most Sundays you walk away going, man, I'm glad I went. I'm still buzzing from Scott's sermon on John 14 about the nature of the humble Christ who also took off His robes and washed the feet of His disciples and called them to, if I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, then wash one another's feet. Um, what, what a glorious word that was to know of a Christ like that. You will have conversations that you didn't plan on with a brother or sister, that over time will lead lead to a meal together, um, and that will lead to another, and that will lead to a spiritual friendship, which I have known in my life as the most stimulating things onto God and to glory and to sanctification. Um, Dear friends, I'm sure many of you have dear, dear friends who you could look at and say, just their lives, being in their home, being in their living room. We went on vacation with this family, my dearest friend to this day, been on a couple of vacations, uh, Jeremy Chaffin, and I remember walking away from a week and was like, Mike, you're such a jerk. That guy is such a sweet and humble and godly man. I was convicted by being with him. And that is the idea. There's, there's means of grace, public means of grace, building relationships, coming together. Um, you will witness the baptism of a Parker Flieger. And Parker, I was so encouraged by your testimony and am still, again, buzzing from your testimony and even your face. I pr- we prayed this morning uh, for, for our children who are yet unconverted and thanking God for His work in your life. Um, your face is softened. Your smile is more frequent. Um, and uh, it is a great joy to see God saving people and watching a baptism. But there's a tangible means of grace in the supper. We take the Lord's Supper, we eat and drink of Christ in a spiritual way and are reminded by the Word, and you will hear the Gospel repeatedly, tangibly at the Supper. But I would say, if you are making use of the public means of grace, it will fuel your private means of grace. I don't know about you, but after Sunday, I am all the more eager to get into the Word on Monday. And Tuesday, and sometimes it falls off toward the end of the week. And it is the public preaching of the word that encourages my heart and fuels me. Um, I don't know who said it. My wife quotes this uh, the statement a lot. But um, Christian appetites are not like regular appetites. You know, we we often like well, if you don't eat a long time, you're, you're just you get more and more hungry. But if you avoid the word and if you avoid the means of grace, uh, you can just keep going without them. And it's actually taking. Um, making use and taking um, partaking of the means of grace that will fuel and feed your appetite for more of this, for more of these things, um, and that's why Paul tells us to wake up and put off these sins that get in the way, that discourage us, these social sins, these sexual sins. Um, but he tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I will end with this illustration I learned in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, after becoming. Uh, a homeowner of more than just a little patch of grass that I could have, uh, in California, mowed with my weed whacker. Um, That's not the way it was in Alabama. And I learned over time that the best way to take care of a lawn from drought, from disease, from um, really just uh, uh, even weeds, was to cultivate a healthy lawn. Uh, And that is the way it is in the Christian life. So I began to not mow the grass so short. You you keep reading little things. I took my mower from a three to a four. Um, You landscapers take note of this. I'm sure this is shocking new information for you. Um, And I watered less often, uh, which seems counterintuitive, but it gave the roots of the grass the ability to go deeper into the earth for water. Um, And I sometimes mowed and let the clippings go back into the grass, not after it had grown really long and all clumpy, but just another four where the grass was maybe at a five and it feeds the grass. And I would say so it is with putting on Christ. Um, The knowledge and influence of Christ's spirit in you crowds out your flesh. So let me wrap this up. You were saved by grace through faith unto good works. Your sanctification was predestined just like your justification was. And the grace that you receive to repent of your sins and trust in Christ that sets you free from the penalty of sin is also the thing that will set you free from reigning sin, the power of that sin. The Lord's commands that you hated and resisted before are no longer burdensome. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You deal with a loving Father whose ways are tender, who loves to give the Spirit to those who ask Him. Even the difficulty you encounter in this present life, trials and suffering, will are made, are designed to conform you to His image. Amen. So I say, Galatians 5, Paul says, If you, at, if you live by the Spirit, uh, um, keep in step with the Spirit. And by the way, he says earlier, that those of you who have been baptized in the Spirit, put on Jesus Christ. Um, but then Paul says here, Those of you who are baptized and have been walking with the Lord, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, If you've been baptized into Christ, then you have put on Christ. So I tell you again, keep putting on Christ. A dear preacher said, if you got amnesia and forgot everything that you ever knew, but you remembered the way that you entered the kingdom by repenting and believing, he said, you haven't forgotten a thing. It's the same two steps through the Christian life. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation is nearer than we when we first believed. Praise the Lord.